The college cappers will be busy as rivalries dominate on this final Saturday in November. Alabama needs to keep winning to keep its CFP play of hopes alive, and Auburn would like nothing better than to spoil the dream for the Crimson Tide in the Iron Ball. There's a bedlam in the Big 12 as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State meet, and top-ranked Georgia should have an easy time with Georgia Tech, which was just crushed by Notre Dame. Hang tight, our college football crew will be in shortly to talk about this and much more coming up. Welcome in to the BetUS College Football Show. It is week 13, Thanksgiving week, rivalry week. We have got a ton of games to discuss today, and we are going to talk about the games where we find the most value. Now, of course, there are a ton of games on the slate this week, so we got to make sure that we hit the games that you want us to hit as well. Go ahead, jump into the chat. We have uh, several people watching already. Kenneth jumps in already. We did have uh, somebody else that I can't scroll up to uh, that already posted earlier. But jump into the chat. Tell us what games you would like to discuss. We will do that at the end of the show in a Q&A. Uh, before we get started, I want to go ahead and introduce our experts. On the left side of your screen, Parker Fleming, our numerical guru, as I like to call him, the stat guy, the analyst guy, the guy with the numbers, uh, one of the smartest people in the room. Parker, you can find him on Twitter at Stats of War. Uh, how excited are you for this slate of football? I plan to do nothing except sit on my couch and watch college football and eat way too much food. So I'm, I'm so excited for this weekend. And I mean, a rivalry week. We got numbers, but you, you got to think about storylines. You got to think about hate. You got to think about athletes and history. A lot of fun this weekend. A lot of interesting matchups to preview. Oh, you have certainly got that right. On the right side of the screen, Kyle Hunter, and I always make sure that he's on the right side because typically he is on the right side. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. He's our professional award-winning handicapper. Uh, absolutely incredible thus far this season on his picks. Uh, last week was a bit of a burner, but that's okay. It's all good. We still got plenty of time left. We got bowl season. We got championship weeks. We got all kinds of stuff. So, uh, Kyle, you feeling good about this weekend? I am, guys. Uh you know, I, I tend to be kind of laid back in general, but I'm pumped up for this week of games. Like rivalry week, it brings a little bit extra. I'm, I'm ready to go, guys. I am as well. Uh, so, yes. So let's go ahead and say uh, that we will jump into – now, nah, you know what? Here. Let's do this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, like the video, subscribe to the channel, make sure and hit that notification bell so that you know when we go live right here each and every Wednesday, we're going to be knocking this thing out. Uh, of course, the schedule is changing once we get into bowl season, into championship week, etc. Next week, we have all of the conference championship games. We do have a makeup game with USC in Colorado. Not Colorado, California. USC in California next week. Uh, lots of football still left to discuss. So go ahead and hit that notification bell so that you know when we are live. And you can always follow us on Twitter, and we will let you know exactly when we will be doing the shows. Uh, there is a podcast as well for those that are traveling on Thanksgiving. If you don't get to watch the entire live performance, of course, you can go and check out the podcast that is, uh, that is anywhere that you can get your podcast, Apple podcast, etc. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple podcast. We would certainly appreciate that. Let's jump into the recap of what we have done thus far this season. Our records on the year, I am sitting at 45, 36, and four thus far. Kyle is 33-27-0, Parker 44-51-3, and, and overall, 
on the season, 122, 114, and 7. So not too shabby. We are above water. That's pretty good. I can, uh, I can, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. we got a lot of games to get to. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, Robert, Kenneth, etc. that are already in the chat, we certainly appreciate you. Go ahead and keep tossing in questions, whatever games you guys want to hear. We're going to start off on Friday. 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time game. Iowa heads to Nebraska. Nebraska, a one-and-a-half-point dog at home, total of 41. The line actually came out. Nebraska favored by two-and-a-half. And then it was announced that Adrian Martinez, the quarterback for the Cornhuskers, is out due to an injury he suffered late against Wisconsin last week. Last season, Iowa won this game 26-20. to Iowa has won six straight in this matchup. Uh, they are 3-3 three and three against the spread, uh, but Nebraska has covered three straight against them. Uh, it's a close, close contest. It seems like every time out. Uh, so far this season, Iowa 1-4 and four against the spread since their win over Penn State, uh, but they have won three straight games, so that's certainly good. Nebraska has lost five straight games straight up. They are 2-3 and three against the spread in those five. Um, but, it, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I am curious about this matchup. I want to start off with you, Kyle. Uh, Nebraska's numbers on offense uh, were really good, other than their number 94 turnover margin. Logan Smothers, the expected starter, is a freshman from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Uh, he's only 7 of 11 on the season for 119 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. I'm curious what this Iowa defense can do to a kid making his first career start uh, against this Hawkeyes defense. We're starting out with a doozy of a game, guys. I mean, this is a fascinating handicap. Three and eight Nebraska at one point was as much as three and a half point favorites in this game. Um, I was texting with some of my friends on this one, like, what do you do with a game like this? Three and a half point favorite for Nebraska. You know, Adrian Martinez is kind of a walking turnover. Iowa's turnovers uh, first in the country and forcing turnovers. Now Martinez is out. The line flips to Iowa. Uh, 77% of of the bets are on Iowa, and I don't think that surprises any of us based on what's happened here. But how much do the stats matter for Nebraska's offense at this point, right? Smothers, we don't know what he's going to be. Um, I really, the Nebraska defense has been pretty good. I think they're underrated by most people uh, throughout the course of the season. They've been very good. This game should be a low-scoring game, but that's indicated by the total right now. It's hard to take under 41 or 41 and a half. Um, Iowa's offense is bad. You know, Gary had a great play on Illinois last week. Uh, that was nearly a really bad beat. I was watching the end of that game rooting for <laughs> yeah. Gary. Man, that was almost a, uh, We were texting about that one. That, one was, that would have been brutal. Iowa gained 3.6 yards per play last week and had 33 points. Uh, so just very misleading win over Illinois. Um, ultimately, uh, there's no weakness for this Iowa defense. We know the Iowa offense is the major problem. What are we going to get from Nebraska's offense Guys, I'm going to let you two hash this one out. I don't have any lean on this one at all. <laughs> I, I will go ahead and tell you. I'll let Parker clean this one up. But I'm going to take Iowa minus the one and a half. Uh, a freshman quarterback against that Iowa defense, I am looking for turnovers. I'm looking for anything else. But I do think the reason that Nebraska was in a bunch of games, one, the defense is is really good, really good. Iowa's number nine in defensive uh, points per drive. Nebraska's number 28. Uh, but – I think Adrian Martinez was a big reason why Nebraska was able to cover so many spreads this year. They kept a ton of games close because they were able to use his legs, and his QBR this year was actually really good. Like He, he did make those crippling mistakes, but he's a good player. He's incredibly athletic, and he, I think he might be the most talented player on the team. Without him, I don't know what Nebraska does to be able to score on Iowa. 
Uh, that's why I'm going to ride with Iowa to cover that one and a half. Parker, I, I think you might be leaning the other direction, but I want you to tell me why. All season, Gary. All season, I have wanted to pick Iowa uh, to lose. And my model has said it, and I hadn't trusted it, and I've been a coward. And you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. Uh, the numbers like Nebraska. Uh, Iowa's offense is so bad. It's it's just unbelievably bad. And uh, I, I think that there's a uh, kind of two elements here that I like. I, I had this, you know, we're all picked before the Adrian Martinez confirmation. But even including that, I think two things happen. One, the volatility for Nebraska goes way, way down. So, yes, you lose some of that rushing upside with Martinez's legs. But uh, Iowa hasn't been necessarily susceptible to a rushing quarterback. Maybe Sean Clifford a little bit when they were playing Iowa or uh, when they were playing Penn State before he got hurt. But generally, I, I don't know that the the legs of Adrian Martinez are going to be enough to fool Iowa. This kind of bleeds into the second thing. I think this makes Scott Frost have to get so much more creative on offense, and that's a good thing. It's kind of like getting out of his own head. It's not addition by subtraction. But it is, your back is against the wall. You've got to figure something out. You've got this wrench in your plans. And I think that will kind of focus him a little bit. And I think Nebraska, who has lost five games in a row by a combined 31 points, less than a touchdown per game, uh, I, I really think that they are, are better than their record. Um, and I think you can't you can't lose another one-score game. It just can't happen. I'm going to go ahead. I have, I have Nebraska money line, but I, I'm going to go ahead and pick Nebraska to cover here. I like that. Uh, Robert S. jumps in and said, will there be a Q&A? Yes, absolutely. Ray Martin said Smothers is terrible. Uh, I mean, we don't know yet. I mean, who knows? Uh, but the official plays here on this, uh, I'm going to take – sorry, I'm taking Iowa minus one and a half. Parker is taking Nebraska plus one and a half. So we are button heads right off the get-go. Uh, but, yes, again, there will be a Q&A. Go ahead and toss in your questions. Uh, we know that we didn't hit any of the actual Thanksgiving games. There's two of them. We haven't hit them, but we will hit them in the Q&A if you guys want to talk about it. So moving on from there, another Friday afternoon game, Friday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, UNLV heads to Air Force, and Air Force is favored by 17 and a half at home. The total sits at 50 points. This is the first meeting for these two since 2018. Air Force 5-2 and two straight up. Five and two against the spread uh, since 2010, right? So they don't play every season, uh, but these two teams know each other. UNLV overs this year, four and one in their last five, but only one of those games has actually hit 50 points, which is what this total is set at. Uh, they are six and two against the spread in their last eight games. Uh, what they are doing at UNLV is is pretty impressive. Marcus Arroyo, um, not bad, not bad. They've actually won two ball games. Uh, it's it's, it's it, very impressive. Air Force seven and three against the spread this season. Uh, well, in the last ten, their uh, their last two games have hit the over, but they did have four straight unders prior to that. Uh, UNLV surprisingly number eleven in stuff rate this season. Uh, they only give up four point one yards per rush. Uh, that's going to work out pretty well against Air Force, I would believe. Uh, UNLV number one eighteen in plays per game, so they like to shorten these games. Uh, I would imagine Air Force wins this game. I don't have a play on this, but Kyle, uh, I know that you like a certain uh, a certain side on this one. What uh, what do you like? Guys, I bet against the troops last week and lost, and I learned my lesson in that one. Um, man, that was a tough way to lose, too. Nevada looked like they should lose the whole way, and then it goes into overtime. They take the eight-point lead. They just need one stop, you know, whether it be um, with a two-point conversion or whatever. But uh, Air Force totally dominated on the ground in that game, certainly. This week, I'm going to go to the under and UNLV and Air Force. You know, guys, I can't imagine anybody would guess UNLV's run defense grade on PFF is 24th in the country. 
Very good. Like Gary said, stuff rate, very good. Um, this is not a good UNLV team, but they're good at stopping the run. Now, I think it's fair to point out that stopping the triple option is, is very unique compared to just stopping the run in general. So hopefully they can uh, be at least somewhat ready for this triple option. Uh, but the defensive lines are single biggest strength, no doubt about that. In Air Force's last eight games, seven of the eight have stayed under this total in regulation. Last week's game went over because of overtime. Uh, four of the last six have finished with 41 points or less. So they've had some very low-scoring games as Air Force. Air Force ranks 120th in the country in tempo, UNLV 122nd. So a very slow-paced game here. Air Force running on 87.5% of their plays, UNLV on 55% of their plays. Air Force defensive weakness, their one weakness is through the air. I don't think UNLV's uh, passing attack is really the type of team that, that um, scares Air Force defensively. Air Force has 32 sacks so far this year, and they were just absolutely killing the Nevada offensive line last week, just crushing them. UNLV has allowed 36 sacks this season. I think they'll have trouble with the Air Force pass rush in this one. So I think Air Force gets ahead, uh, milks the clock, uses a, a lot of time to slowly move down the field. If we can get a couple field goals where they use eight or nine minutes of the clock, that'd be ideal. But I think 50 is kind of a high number uh, for an Air Force game, especially one where they're the favorites. So I'm going to take the under in this one. I like it. Uh, let's make it an official play here. Kyle likes the under 50 in UNLV at Air Force. Let's move on to yet another game. Uh, this is an AAC matchup. Cincinnati heads to East Carolina the last time that they went to the Pirates. It was a crazy 46-43 to ball game. Uh, but last year, since he won 55-17, to Cincinnati 6-1 and straight up, 5-2 and against the spread, their last seven against the Pirates. And Cincinnati, of course, favored by 14 points here, total of 57-and-a-half. Uh, seems like a lot of points because East Carolina has been playing rather well here lately. Uh, Cincy 1-4 and against the spread in their last five. Um, they covered last week for the first time in uh, in four weeks there. East Carolina 7-2 and straight up and against the spread in their last nine. They had covered six straight before not covering in a win against Navy last week. Parker, I want to start off with you on this one. I I like the matchup here for Cincinnati. What uh what are your thoughts here? Yeah, well, I'm I'm mad at the Pirates cuz they should have covered last week and I put some faith in them. Um and uh and they didn't. I mean, I mean they have been very good. One thing that I, I really like about them is their pass defense has been 10th uh, in the nation since week 5. Again, unadjusted for opponent, but they are playing so confidently for an AAC team. Uh where the mismatch is going to end up though, since he's offense 7th in the rush, East Carolina 66th against the rush. Um and then of course on the flip side, uh, East Carolina's offense has been okay, but Cincinnati's defense is a buzzsaw. Um, my, my numbers have this a closer to like a 10-point win for Cincinnati, and so I see value in picking East Carolina. But let me tell you, it's a personal philosophy of mine that you're not going to make money betting against a team that is playing for a playoff spot uh, the week before this conference championship. I think Cincinnati last week, something went off in Luke Fickle's head where he said, hmm, Maybe it is more fun to just beat the ever-loving hell out of everyone and then have people talk about how good we are all week. Maybe that's the better way. And so I think that the governor's off for Cincinnati. I think they'll do everything they can to get up big and, um, and, and again, get some of those style points here. Um, that's not to demean East Carolina. I really think that they're, they're doing a good job and they're set up well for the future. Uh, my, my issue here, Kyle, is that East Carolina, number 91 in 20-plus yard plays allowed, uh, we saw that last week with Cincinnati against SMU, 
you give this Bearcats offense a chance to make some explosive plays down the field, and they will take advantage of it. Uh, and on the other side, Cincinnati number two in explosive plays allowed. I uh, Again, the teams that were giving Cincinnati fits were the teams that could really, really run the ball. I don't see that out of East Carolina. I mean, they're number 108 in offensive line opportunity rate. Uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Cincinnati has 1,756 yards in the last three meetings between these two. So they have just crushed this East Carolina defense every year. Have they improved enough to change that? I, I doubt it. I think Cincinnati will score a lot of points in this game. Uh, my strongest lean here would be the over, just thinking that uh, East Carolina can probably score enough. The thing that concerns me about East Carolina is Holt Naylor's is wildly inconsistent. I, I don't know what I'm going to get from him. One game, he can look tremendous. The next game, he looks really bad. In fact, look at the last two meetings between these two. Ehlers threw for more than 500 yards two years ago. Last year, 87 yards passing. So <laughs> uh, just a almost like a different guy back there. I think Ford will have a big game in the backfield for Cincinnati in this one. Um, ECU, 66th and success rate allowed against the run, 19th against the pass. Uh, early downs, EPA, 83rd for East Carolina. I got that from CFB graphs. Uh, getting behind the sticks against the Cincinnati uh, secondary is not great. You know, that's not a great way to go about this. East Carolina has been able to get out of those third and longs uh, pretty well, but they haven't played a, a secondary like Cincinnati all season. I think Cincinnati, if you're going to beat them, like you guys said, you need to be able to run the football. I don't think East Carolina can. Cincinnati also 10th PFF in special teams grade. ECU is 57th. The over is 4-0 in the last four meetings. Like I said, I think this total is a little bit too low, so I lean to the over here. I like it. I am going to roll Cincinnati minus the 14. Uh, they figured things out a little bit last week, exactly like Parker was talking about. It's a lot more fun when you're just beating up on teams and the media is giving you a lot of praise. That's a lot more fun than just squeaking by and hearing people talk crap. So uh, Cincinnati minus the 14 is my official play on this one. Uh, I like what they're doing. I think that this matchup suits them, and, and they will roll on Friday afternoon. We'll move on to the Saturday slate. In good gracious, we start off with a banger. Ohio State favored by eight on the road in Ann Arbor against the Michigan Wolverines. Total 64 and a half last year. These two did not get to play, and Ohio State thinks that Michigan was running scared. Now, there's a lot to that. Obviously, COVID-shortened season, all that good stuff, but the game was canceled not because of Ohio State. It was canceled because of Michigan. Uh, Ohio State won the last matchup in 2019, 56-27. Ohio State 8-0, 4-4 against the spread in the last eight seasons. They are 2-0 against the spread in their last two matchups. Do not forget that Ryan Day told his players before last season began that they were going to hang 100 on Michigan the next time they played because of Harbaugh bringing up uh, some, some questionable practice stuff that Ohio State was doing in a Big Ten conference call. These two coaches do not like each other. I don't know that Michigan will be able to hang in this game. Uh, this... I, if we look at the betting trends for right now, Ohio State has covered six of their last eight games. They didn't cover against Penn State and Nebraska. That's two teams that are similarly built to uh, to the way that Michigan plays. Uh, Michigan has covered nine of 11 games this season. Uh, guys, Kyle, I want to start off with you on this one. I Everybody is talking up Michigan in this spot, but I have seen this time and time again, and 
when I see somebody that Ryan Day does not like, he runs up the score. I I tend to believe that's going to be the same thing. How do you feel about this one? Oh, this game is a Saturday. I was I wasn't sure about that. <laughs> uh, this is a game that I'm obviously looking forward to in a big way. And I think you guys know me enough that there is zero chance I'm betting on this game. I, I have enough invested in this game. I am not betting on this one at all. But I do have plenty of thoughts on this one. Ohio State plus 2.99 yards per play margin on the year. That's second in the country. Michigan plus 1.62. Uh, I think Harbaugh deserves quite a bit of credit for the way Michigan's played this year. And, you know, as being a Buckeyes fan, I am able to, uh, uh, you know, look uh, at, at these teams outside of just, you know, what I am as a fan. Michigan has been really good this year, and their offensive line is to thank for a lot of that. Only nine sacks allowed so far this season. Guys, I have a great stat for you here. I like this one quite a bit. Michigan is first in the nation in tackles for loss allowed. 24 tackles for loss only on the season. Uh, second, you can probably guess who is second, but it's Georgia. They've allowed 35. So Michigan is 11 better than anybody else in the entire country. I think that's really, really impressive. No big negative plays for the Wolverines. That's really helped a lot. Um, Ohio State ranks second in the nation, or second in the Big Ten, I'm sorry, in yards per carry allowed, 2.75 yards per carry in Big Ten play. Can Michigan run on Ohio State? Um, can they get good enough quarterback play? Ohio State secondary is still weak. I still don't trust this secondary. I think the the front defensive front is good. Michigan's defense is good, but they haven't faced anybody like this Ohio State offense. Uh, I've said it, and I'll say it again. Ohio State's wide receivers are just tremendous. They're really good run blocking, obviously great pass catchers. Um, and I, I will say, don't be surprised if Travion Henderson plays a bigger role in this game than he has in recent ones. It's not really a uh, you know, secret around here that Henderson has kind of been saved up this year. They didn't want to use him too much. Henderson's a really, really good running back, very explosive. I think he might be needed quite a bit in this game, and I would expect he'll run the ball more, uh, get thrown some screens and things like that too as well. Um, I'm not betting on this game, but I'll just uh, I'll just give you guys a hint that I'm rooting for Gary and Parker in this game. <laughs> you, uh, you brought up interesting uh, topics about Travion Henderson there. Michigan since week number five is number 105, sorry, 103 in stuff rate. Uh, I think Ohio State's running backs could certainly find success in this game. I think Michigan tends to be a little over-aggressive sometimes. Uh, and, and yes, that would help them get to the quarterback. I think they can pressure Stroud some, which is going to lean you more towards running the football, uh, especially on counters and whatnot. Uh, Parker, we've talked about that before. Um, Michigan, on offense, since week five, they are number 63 in points per drive inside the 40. They ain't finishing drives. you got to be able to finish the drives in this ballgame if you want to be able to keep up. Uh, I'm going to give my official one on this. I, I like Ohio State minus the eight here. Anything under 10 points, I think they are going to blow their doors off. Uh, Parker, what have you got on this? Gary, you you, uh, you you said a stat I was exactly thinking of. I believe the, the story of this game is going to be Michigan bringing knives to a gunfight. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of echo rate, quality possession rate, right? Ohio State's offense first, Michigan's defense seventh. In terms of points per quality possession, though, Ohio State's offense is sixth at 5.48. Michigan's defense is 48th at 3.81. So some asymmetry there. Equal uh, equal quality in terms of getting getting those possessions at a, at a rate, but Ohio State's finishing them a lot better uh, than Michigan is allowing. And then on the flip side, if you look at offense, same thing. Ohio State's defense, 17th in quality possession rate. Michigan's offense, 18th. But 
points per quality possession, that finishing drives, 17th for Ohio State's defense, 50th for Michigan's offense. Knives to a gunfight. The other thing, if you look at, for instance, the Penn State game with Michigan, they, they really won because they were able to get that big play, right? They're, they're not throwing the ball downfield. Um, I think Hassan Haskins, like 60% of his yards, when I had looked up this stat, 60% of his yards came after the car, uh, after contact and then through the air uh, after the catch, like if you combine those two. Um, and so they're really looking to get the ball in their playmakers' hands and then break big plays. Um, uh, looking at Ohio State's defense, their, their, their pass defense is problematic, right? We've heard it all year. They've gotten stress tested. They're 55th in EPA per pass allowed, um, and they're, they're, they're 53rd in passing success rate allowed. And so it's not like they're getting blown up on big plays. They are allowing successes, but they're relatively stopping those successes and not letting those be those bigger plays the last couple of weeks. And so I think the story of what's going to happen here is that uh, Ohio State's offense versus Michigan's defense is going to be a battle, but Ohio State's going to be able to finish well. And on the flip side, I, I really think that Michigan's going to struggle to move the ball consistently without being able to rely on those big plays. I could see Ohio State running away with this one. Um, as for Ohio State's wide receivers, I do just want to point out, uh, Kyle mentioned that you saw the Bolitnikoff award list and none of them were on it, which is evidently there's a penalty for being too good in college football, uh, which I think Ohio State got. I am not like the mainstream media guy. I am not like the ESPN college football playoff eyeballs teams, but it seems ludicrous that we're not talking about this being one of, if not the best wide receiver rooms we've seen in college football in a very, very long time, including Alabama's recent very, very good uh, line. So uh, all, all that comes down for me, I, I expect CJ Stroud to have a pretty good day. He's completing 59% of his passes, 10 plus yards downfield. Um, with a pretty even split, 13% uh, of his passes are, are 20 plus yards and 30% of his passes are 10 plus yards. I honestly think that uh, Kyle, you know, a little game theory here, Ohio State, knowing that they're going to be able to rush a little bit better against Michigan, might actually be more explosive in the pass game because they'll have more incentive to take those deep shots, to try and get those deep plays, knowing that they can fall back on a rushing attack on second and third down after they take those shots. Expect a lot of, like, for instance, second and one uh, big shots from Ohio State, knowing that on third and one, the odds are pretty good for them. So I think they're in the driver's seat here. I, I think they're going to win. Uh, this is Michigan's best team in a really long time. And uh, it's really unfortunate for Jim Harbaugh because this is Ohio State's best team in a really, really long time. So a great matchup, but I do think Ohio State is is clearly the better team, and I do think they'll win this handily. I like it. Of course, official plays here. Uh, Parker and myself both riding Ohio State minus the eight. I'm, I'm game. I love it. Absolutely love it. Go ahead and thank everybody that is in the chat. Uh, Kenneth, Big Trouble Jack. Yes, we're going to talk about our favorite uh, turkey day dishes. Big Trouble Jack, of course. We'll do that uh, towards the end of the show. Robert S. has some questions. Merrick Miller said, thank you guys for all your hard work this year. Thankful for the show. Uh, we appreciate that. Scott Doherty, uh, NC Street News. I mean, all kind of guys. Bruce, etc. You guys are wonderful. Thank you for jumping in the chat uh, and being a part of the show. A reminder, go ahead and like the video if you have not already. There are way more people watching than have actually liked, so we want to get those numbers to match up. You know, math and all that. Uh, along with that, subscribe to the channel if you have not already. Hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live, and it could be at any point during bowl season. <laughs> so who knows? Uh, we do have championship week next week, and we've got bowl season following that, along with the college football playoff, the national title, et cetera. We're going to be through all of it. So make sure and subscribe to the channel and uh, let's see, of course, the Q&A. Jump in there. Next game, UTSA heading to North Texas. And North Texas is a 10.5-point home underdog, total of 59.5. Guys, uh, 
North Texas has played really well here lately. Uh, last season, UTSA won this game 49-17 to in the last eight games. North Texas is 4-4 four and four straight up, but, uh, but UTSA is 5-3 and three against the spread in those last eight. I mean, it's just a back-and-forth affair between these two programs. Uh, the teams are kind of headed in different directions, in my opinion. Uh, Parker, I'm going to start off with you on this one. Uh, UTSA has failed to cover in two straight games, but they are four and zero against the road or against the spread on the road this season. North Texas has won four straight; they've covered five straight. It seems like Seth Luttrell has really kind of gotten this thing turned around. He's leaning more on the running game as of late, uh, and it's playing out well. Uh, their defense has looked pretty damn good, I thought. Uh, so, what uh, what are your thoughts, Parker? Well, uh, Seth Luttrell, best jawline in college football. No, no, uh, no doubt about that. That's about the only nice thing I could say about North Texas this year. Um, Gary, this is going to sound sarcastic, but we're friends. And so hear it. Um, you know, it's easy to look good playing against Rice, Southern Miss and, and FIU. You're right. That UTEP win was pretty okay, but UTEP has some flaws. And so I understand that. Um, North Texas has beat uh closely uh some some bad teams and then and then you know taking care of FIU that's a complete disaster so um I I do think seriously um rushing against teams that you're obviously more talented than is actually a red flag for me especially at the G5 level because it's saying hey you don't have anything else figured out and and I don't know how this is going to be sustainable in the future but all that to say if you look at you know the last couple of games for um uh, that Southern Miss game for UTSA was just an absolute what the hell's going on game. And then UAB 34-31, uh, they, they, they didn't cover, but it was, you know, a magical game. It might be a letdown spot for UAB here. Um, all that to say, North, North Texas has been playing consistently. I don't think they've been playing well. Early in the season, I think they were both bad and volatile. And down the stretch, they've been okay and volatile, kind of against uh, lesser competition. Ten is a lot of points, and it looks like if we kind of see what UTSA is, the, the, early in the season, they were kind of a run it up school, um, but you start to look at some of their wins and you see Illinois 37-30. You see Middle Tennessee just barely by two scores. Memphis uh, by a, a field goal. Western Kentucky by less than a touchdown. It does look like they're kind of in do enough to win mode. Um, I will say second half of that game, uh, UTSA's defense might have given the best performance of the entire season last week yes. against UAB. First half. 390 yards, I think. No, 330. Gosh, I wish I had the stat in my head. Uh, <laughs> over 300 yards in the first half for UAB. Second half, 91. They only scored one touchdown, 40-yard field after a punt return. UTSA absolutely turned the water off on UAB in the second half. So I, I do think that um, 10 is a lot of uh, a lot of points, and there's a uh, potential letdown spot here. If I had to, if I had a play here, I would lean UTSA. But because of that potential letdown spot, I'm kind of staying away here. Uh, that's part of my motivation for the pick. Kyle, uh, of course, UTSA already punched their ticket to the CUSA title game that is next week against the winner of Western Kentucky and Marshall. Uh, UTSA, not a ton to play for here other than maybe some in-state pride and and to keep that 12-0 and season going forward. But uh, there's not – I don't know that they are going to get to a New Year's Six game. They're not going to be ranked number 12 at the end of this, any of that craziness. Um so, I mean, you do want to win to keep that going, obviously. But North Texas, this isn't a defense really to uh, to trifle with a bunch. Now, we did, of course, see this same thing with UTEP earlier in the year. But North Texas, number 12 in defensive success rate since week five, number eight in defensive scoring opportunities, number 34 in stuff rate. Um, I think they'll be able to slow down this offense enough. Uh, Kyle, do you have a, a thought on this one? Well, I mean, if you look at the uh, game numbers from last week, 7.8 yards per play for UAB. Like Parker said, most of that was in the first half because the second half they didn't do much. 
only 5.4 yards per play for UTSA. So I think they were pretty fortunate to win that game in general, especially the way they did, right? The buzzer, obviously. Yeah. Um, my number on this one, Gary, was UTSA minus 12. So I'm going to pass on this game because I do think this is a bad spot for UTSA. I, certainly they'll want to win this game. They, they need to win this game just because they want to stay undefeated. Um, it's, it's certainly a questionable situational spot for them, especially laying this many points. Uh, North Texas really reliant on the run game because they have virtually no passing game. That concerns me in this one because UTSA, ninth in yards per carry in the country, um, 88th in opponent QBR. So usually teams can move it through the air against them. Can North Texas? I don't know. I mean, you know, North Texas, 129th out of 130 teams in defensive explosiveness. The Mean Green have allowed 34 plays of 30 yards or more this year. That's a massive number. Only five teams have been worse in this stat. Um, I, I don't know what to do with this game, Gary. I'm going to let you give the the official play. <laughs> I am going to make it official for myself. I'm going to roll North Texas plus the 10 and a half. Uh, I think it's just a letdown spot. I fully expect UTSA to win the game, uh, but I think that North Texas has been playing with some uh, some gumption. They've been playing with some gusto here lately, and and I expect them to continue that this weekend. I expect a close ball game, very close ball game. So North Texas plus ten and a half. And that is going to take us to a Sunbelt matchup here. Texas State heading to Arkansas State. And the Red Wolves are favored by two at home. The total is 62 here. Uh, Texas State won last year 47-45. to 45. Uh, It was their first win since 2014 against Arkansas State. Uh, Arkansas State 5-1 and one straight up, 3-3 three and three against the spread the last six against the Bobcats. Um, you know, on the season... These two teams have not been very good. Texas State one and five straight up their last six. They are three and three against the spread. Uh, Arkansas State one and nine straight up in their last ten. They are three and two against the spread in their last five. So they've kind of figured some stuff out. Kyle, I want to start off with you on this. Uh, Arkansas State cannot stop a nosebleed. Uh, they're number one twenty in defensive points per drive. Number one thirty in defensive yards per rush. Number one hundred four defensive success rate. Uh, they are number twenty five in drives allowed inside the 40, which is hilarious because they're also number 128 in explosive plays allowed. Uh, you don't have to drive into the 40 to score on this defense. I mean, you can you can score from anywhere on the field. It's really, really entertaining. What, uh, what are your thoughts on it, Kyle? I have lots of thoughts on this game just because Arkansas State uh, fires me up. I mean, what kind of defensive stats this team has. At the same time, guys, I was looking at this game considering an overplay myself, and I kind of uh, dove into this game a little bit more. Arkansas State's offense has been bad lately. I mean, their their offense in three of their last four games has gained 3.6 yards per play or less. I mean, we know their defense is really bad, but now their offense has been bad too. So the more I looked at this game, the more I like uh, Parker's thoughts on this game. You know, this is a Pretty big split in yards per play margin in this one. Texas State minus 0.90 yards per play. Um, Arkansas State minus 1.92 yards per play. And in conference stats alone, Texas State minus 0.57 yards per play on the margin. And Arkansas State minus 1.93 in the Sun Belt. Sun Belt, not a great conference. Uh, the fact that they've done worse in conference play than in non-conference play tells you quite a bit about where Arkansas State is. And defensively, I have to say this. They've allowed nine plays of 70 yards or more this year. Very hard to do, even if you're trying to. They've allowed 19 plays of 50 yards or more. More than half the teams in the country have allowed five plays or less of 50 yards this year. And they've allowed 19. This is just ridiculous. I mean, they stand out in a huge negative way. 
Texas State is not a good team. I'm not here to tell you they are. Uh, but you're getting plus 110 on the money line or plus two on Texas State. Uh, Arkansas State and Texas State exactly even in offense, 5.03 yards per play in Sunbelt play. Texas State should be able to move the ball on the ground. Arkansas State will move it more through the air in this one. I lean pretty strongly toward Texas State, and I think I'll at least put some of my own money on this one too. I, I'm with you 100%. Uh, Texas State, not much better than Arkansas State, but – they can run the ball a little bit, number 45 in offensive line opportunity rate. Uh, they're number 94 in offensive yards per rush on the season. Uh, you know, Parker, give me uh, give me your thoughts here. I know you like one side on this. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Arkansas State is, you know, Butch, Butch came in and took over and was like, hey, you know, Arkansas State, Gus Malzahn's done it before. Blake Anderson had it going a little bit. Like, it's a job where you could do um, some good. And he took six defensive transfers. And this is one of the worst defensive units uh, in the nation. They, they, again, update on missed tackles. I know I talked about it maybe two weeks ago. 135 missed tackles on the season for Arkansas State. Um, they, they are just, I mean, they, they're really, really rough on defense. I think the big thing for me is, one, um, I like Texas State a lot, and, and I should have been betting on Texas State. I've actually been pretty dialed in on, on what they are. Um, they are passing a lot on early downs. They're 45th um, on early downs uh, rush rate. And uh, but their EPA per rush is really good. They're really selective about when they rush 67th in, in, in effective rushing, whereas Arkansas State's defense is 92nd. And when you think about the schedules that these guys have played, that gulf is huge. I think that Texas State um, will, will be a little bit more flexible on offense. Um, it's interesting because Texas State is obviously having some trouble as a program. But this year, they're just better than a lot of the bad teams on, on their schedule. Um, and, and so I think that Arkansas State probably represents the, you know, one of these few teams that Texas State is, is better than. I actually think this is a wrong team favored situation. Um, Arkansas State's offense, uh, 86 or excuse me, 118th overall, just um, 129th in rushing, just really, really hard for them to move ball any way, shape or form. I've got this right at the total, so I'm not going to lean aside, but I, I, again, think this is wrong team favored. I think Texas State wins here. I'm with it. Let's make it official for Parker. He is taking Texas State plus the two on this one. That's going to move us to the Big Ten. And another fantastic rivalry matchup. 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Northwestern heads to the Fighting Illini. The Fighting Brett Bielema's Illinois favored by six and a half at home. Total of 43 and a half. Northwestern won this game 28-10 to 10 last year, but this is not the same Northwestern bunch that we saw in 2020. I will tell you that. Uh, in the last nine matchups between these two, they are 6-3 and three against the spread over that span. Northwestern 1-6 straight up the last seven games, 2-5 and five against the spread. They have not looked great. Uh, they got four unders in their last six games, so uh, do with that what you will. Illinois 5-2-1 and one against the spread in their last eight games. They have uh, outperformed expectations just a bit. 3-3 three and three straight up in their last six games. Uh, they had eight straight unders prior to last week when the over hit between Iowa and Illinois, which was just bananas. That game made no sense at, at any point. Um, I, Kyle, I want to talk to you about this one. Northwestern, number 122 in offensive points per drive. Illinois, number 118. Both of these teams make it so difficult to score. It, it's like they would have trouble scoring on air for whatever reason. Uh, number 118 in success rate for Northwestern. Number 106 for Illinois. Neither of these teams can really move the ball. I uh, give, me, give me your thoughts on this one. 
I mean, Northwestern's offense is once again dreadful. This is the second time in the last three years that Northwestern's offense has been really bad. Last year, they were much better. Like Gary said, if you're looking for the same Northwestern team that you saw last year, it's not going to happen in this one. So uh, hopefully my voice doesn't give out on me here. We got a long <laughs> show, guys. I'm, I, was, I don't need that issue. But um, uh, Illinois has great safeties uh, defensively. Northwestern shouldn't have uh, any success in the passing game. Uh, Northwestern's going to have to be really efficient offensively because Illinois does not give up big plays. They're third in the country in explosiveness allowed. Um, should we trust a Northwestern offense that ranks 112th in success rate to gradually move the ball down the field against Illinois? I definitely do not. There's no way I would trust them. Um, Northwestern's defense, uh, 14th in defensive explosiveness in the country. Earlier this year, Northwestern played Nebraska, and they gave up like 900 rushing yards. That, that might be a slight exaggeration, but uh, they, they gave up a ton of rushing yards in that game. But their stats are a bit skewed because in the Big Ten, they gave up so many yards in that one one game. They've been a little bit better defensively here of late. You would think a Fitzgerald team would get better defensively throughout the course of the season. And seven of the Fighting Illini's last eight games have finished with 38 points or less. Pretty insane. And as I mentioned earlier, last week's game was much higher scoring than it should have been for Illinois. Um, Illinois and Iowa, I think both had less than 300 yards of offense in that one. I know Iowa had just 3.6 yards per play. I think this is a low scoring game. It, it is a rivalry game, like you said. Um, I see this as one of those, uh, you know, 24 to 13 type of games or something like that. So I'll take the under on this one. I like it. Let's go ahead and make it official. Kyle is going to roll with the under 43 on Northwestern at Illinois. That moves us into another fantastic rivalry game. We've got Oregon State heading to Oregon. I uh, don't think they call it the Civil War anymore, but that's okay. Uh, we, you know, call it what you want, ducks and beavers. Uh, Oregon State is a seven-point underdog on the road. Uh, Oregon is a favorite, juiced at minus 115. The total, 60 and a half on this. Uh Look, Oregon State won this one last year, 41 to 38. Uh, they are five, four, and one against the spread, but only two and eight straight up in their last ten against the Ducks. Oregon kind of in revenge mode for last season, also because they were embarrassed last week. They looked putrid against Utah uh, in Salt Lake City. Now they get to come back home, but uh, maybe not the friendly confines. Oregon one and five. Against the spread thus far this season at home, their only cover was by half a point uh, on the closing line against Washington State. Otherwise, that would have been a push. Uh, Oregon State, at the same time, only one and four against the spread on the road. They tend to play much better in Corvallis than anywhere else. Their only win on the road was against USC earlier this season. Uh, I mean, just looking at the numbers here, it, it's tough to bet either side, but I, I do really like one side. I want to start off with Kyle first. Uh, Oregon, number 37 in drives allowed inside the 40, but number 111 defensive points per drive inside the 40. Uh, they can't stop drives. They're going to have to figure out a way to stop Oregon State in this spot. Do you have a feeling on this one? Well, first, I have a question for you guys, Parker and Gary. Who's the better game coach in this game? Is it Smith or Cristobal? I'd go with Smith. <laughs> Ooh. I'm going to say Smith, but if I get Cristobal plus Moorhead, which is reality, I think I'm actually going that that direction. Okay. 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 
So that's fair. That's I will cheating, say, Christy. <laughs> I was going to say that's that's slightly cheating, but we'll allow it. Uh, you know, uh, Cristobal is certainly the better recruiter, no doubt about that. But I, I would say Smith is the better game coach. Uh, I've been really impressed with what he's done at Oregon State. Um, the team who can run the ball more effectively is going to win this game. Oregon's pass blocking has been really bad. They, they've been surprisingly bad um, on the offensive line when it comes to pass blocking. And I don't think Anthony Brown's very good. Uh, Oregon State relies really heavily on their run game. Um, game manager, a quarterback there. They lack big play receivers. Oregon is 129th in the nation uh, in special teams grade, according to PFF. So that's been a major problem. That can cost you some close games, certainly. Uh, both of these teams have been amazing on third down offensively. Uh, and maybe Parker has some more on this as well. But they're fourth and sixth in the country in third down conversion percentage, which is really pretty impressive. Guys, I have two strong systems here that would back Oregon State. I'm not going to bet Oregon State, I don't think, but I can't lay the points here with Oregon. Fading home favorites who scored single digits in their last game, 294 and 195 since 2005. That's 60.1% against the spread. Now, some could argue that that's not necessarily predictive. That is a really big sample size for college football, though. So um, also ranked teams off a straight-up loss of seven points or larger are covering just 39.8% of the time since 2005. So um, Oregon in both of those situations, it would be a fade of Oregon in that spot. I'm going to lean Oregon State here. I'm going to lean toward the under. I think this will be a close game. I hate that you brought those trends up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I absolutely hate it because uh, I am going to ride with Oregon. I'm going to make it official before we get over to Parker. Uh, Oregon, you know, there are problems here. Uh, Obviously, number 100 in defensive adjusted sack rate since week five, that includes having Kayvon Thibodeau in the game. I, I mean, what do you make from that? But at the same time, I don't know that I can trust Chance Nolan on the road, even with a clean pocket. I don't know that Oregon State can play well on the road. I haven't seen it this year. Uh, and that's my biggest issue. I, I think that Cristobal and that bunch gets fired up for this one. Um, you know, you look on the other side of the ball, Oregon State, number 91 in defensive points per drive. Oregon is number 22 on offense. I think Moorhead's going to have some stuff drawn up. I like the Ducks to cover the seven. I, I think they reestablish things, get things back rolling before they head into the Pac-12 title game with a win here. Uh, but Parker, give me your thoughts on this. Yeah, well, one outer, uh, I think I want to uh, remember last year, this was the fog game in Corvallis yes. where Oregon was wearing neon yellow, Oregon State was wearing all orange, and you could barely see the field. And if they weren't wearing those neon uniforms, you, could, you couldn't see them at all. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I, Oregon had an embarrassing game last, uh, last week. I definitely, I mean, I, I picked Utah. Uh, the writing was on the wall that Utah was going to win that game. I didn't have the writing on the wall that Utah was going to blow that game out. Um, but I, I really do think that that is, you know, again, in on the road, uh, ranked opponent, clear, clear signs in a mismatch that there was something going on there. Um, I do think that the big deal is Oregon wasn't able to get any kind of rushing attack against Utah last week. Um, and Oregon State's defense is nowhere near close to Utah. Oregon State's defense, 84th in EPA per rush. Um, on the flip side, Oregon State is rushing the ball a lot. They're 120th in early downs rush rate, 65 percent of the time they're rushing the ball on first and second downs and they are 14th in EPA per rush. So a pretty good attack, um, but they're seventh in rushing success rate. So it's not very explosive. They're just kind of, you know, getting what they need there. I think they're going to have to rely on Chance Nolan. And I, I think that Oregon State or Oregon's defense rather is actually pretty good against the pass 36 overall. Uh, so, so what, what, what kind of factors in for me is 
Oregon, uh, definitely in a get-right game, wants to get, like, motivation to get to the Pac-12 championship. And uh, Oregon State's matchup is kind of uh, problematic for Oregon, but their quality is nowhere near what what Utah was, for instance. And uh, Oregon State, uh, you know, someone in the comments just mentioned, this is true, Oregon State's been really bad on the road. So I, I'm, I'm leaning towards, uh, I'm going I'm to take Oregon. I have this at about... Um, eight and a half for Oregon, which for me is very close to play. I hate playing a line that's that close to my line. But like you said, Gary, I, I mean, I, I think this is a good spot for Oregon. Um, Kyle, one, one thing I will note, um, you mentioned those third down stats. I have Oregon State as 15th, so a little bit worse. And I have Oregon as second. So two things I do there. I filter out garbage time. And if you get a fourth down, I give you credit for that for a third down conversion. And so that tells me, and I just went and looked it up, Oregon State, uh, Oregon actually has been pretty okay on on fourth down and, and fairly aggressive. They've gone for it about uh, 15 times and made it, uh, I think, eight is the number there. So, um, you know, I, I think they'll extend drives pretty well against a team they're more talented than. And being at home, I, I really do think that they'll flex a little muscle here. So I'm going to go with Oregon as well. I like it. Official plays on both of those for uh, for myself and Parker. Oregon minus the seven. Uh, hey, Parker, if this was seven and a half, would you play it? I don't think I would. Maybe. No. No. <laughs> I think it I'm, might play my line seven. is so close to it. I already feel uncomfortable about it. And seven and a half tells me, yeah, dude, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on from there. Another Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time game. And this one is a fascinating matchup. Good gracious. Western Kentucky heads to Marshall. With the CUSA division title on the line, Marshall, a one-and-a-half-point favorite here. Total of 74. That's a lot of points, and I fully expect it between the Thundering Herd and the Hilltoppers. Marshall won last year 38-14. to Now, that was before they brought in Bailey Zapp and the Houston Baptist entire offense. Um, but Marshall has won four straight in this matchup. They've only played seven times. Western Kentucky is 6-1 and one all time against the spread against them, even though Marshall has won four straight straight up. Uh, Western Kentucky this year, six straight wins. They are 5-1 and one against the spread in those uh, six games. And they are 10-1, and one, by the way, for team total overs this season. Still underestimated for whatever reason. Uh, and they are a one-and-a-half-point dog here, uh, which is kind of surprising. Uh, maybe it shouldn't be. I mean, you look at some of the numbers, it makes sense. But either way... Western Kentucky, number 14 in net points per drive. Marshall is number 13. Uh, we've got, Parker, I'll start off with you on this. Western Kentucky, a great offense against Marshall, uh, which the numbers say is a great defense. Marshall, a good offense against a Western Kentucky at Blath defense. Uh, give me your thoughts on it, Park. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to punt analysis of the game to you guys, and I'm actually going to answer Kenneth Collins' question. He says, Q&A, got to talk Western Kentucky Hey, Parker, I heard Western Kentucky was rated number one offensive line pass protection in the country. What do you have? And so I, I, I'm going to be a nerd for a second about football because I don't have a play here. Um, <laughs> one thing you have to think about, a lot of the reason that people, and I talk about this, I, I talk about this for hours and have on my TCU podcast because TCU's offensive line is so terrible. Um, when you have a bad offensive line, often what you have to do is you keep extra guys in because you uh, can't afford to only block five. 
and um, and and win pass protection. And so something I like to look at when I look at an offensive line is not just their raw stats of like pressured allowed because there's schematic things that matter too. And so a thing I like to look at, PFF has this stat about a true pass set. Like how often are you in a five five linemen on whatever guys are blocking, you know, no gimmicks, no screens, no play action. How well are you actually just blocking when it comes to it? And, and a couple stats I have there. Um, West, uh, Western Kentucky's given up 40 pressures this season. 15 of those uh, have been in, in non-true pass sets. So when they keep an extra guy in, when they use play action, when they throw a screen, um, 25 of those have been in true pass sets. That's 62% of their pressures have come from true pass set uh, situations where it is just the offensive line versus the defensive line, no extra blockers. Gary, that's 27% of their dropbacks. Only one in four of their dropbacks are from true pass sets, but 63% of their pressures are from true pass sets. What that tells me, Western Kentucky's offensive line, not very good at all, which is what you'd expect out of a G5 school. I don't mean to dunk on them, but the problem with rating their offensive line so good is it not taking into account the situation that they're keeping in a tight end, they're keeping in a running back, they're, they're running play action, they're throwing uh, screens and, and other intermediate routes to mitigate an offensive line that's not very good in true pass sets. So well, let, me, let me interrupt you there. This, this is not yeah. just G5 teams. Uh, we talked about this during the Alabama-Arkansas game last week, right? Yeah, uh, We absolutely. were actually texting because Alabama had to bring in that sixth offensive lineman to keep those Arkansas yeah. edge rushers uh, out of the backfield. So it, it's and it not limits just your the progressions with the routes and everything, and it kind of changes the offense. And so, good news for Western Kentucky if they can increase their offensive line play next year, maybe they're going to have a way better offense because it's governed a little bit. But in terms of pass protection, what you're seeing is they're mitigating a problem, not that their offensive line is good. Sorry for the rant. Like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, so, so Kyle. I'm not going to – I don't like either side on this because I think there is a high level of variance from uh, the Marshall side, right? I, I, the turnover margin, I think, is what could be the difference for me on this one. Western Kentucky, number 14 in turnover margin. Marshall, number 86. Uh, for whatever reason, Grant Wells likes to throw it to the wrong color jersey sometimes. Uh, give, me, uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, again, um, you know, Western Kentucky's defense has been a lot better here in recent games than what they were at the beginning of the season. They forced 19 fumbles so far this year, guys. That's really impressive. They've only recovered seven of them. Um, how many turnovers do you think uh, Western Kentucky has forced in the last seven games? Uh, in the last seven games, I would say uh, we'll do one person. Let, let's do seven. So I'm they forced... They, they forced 22 turnovers in the last Ooh, seven That's games. way more than I thought. <laughs> Just fantastic stuff. I mean, it's it would it would have been hard to guess 22. I was that was kind of set up. But uh, Grant Wells has been a turnover machine at times this year. You know, 12 interceptions on the year, and Marshall's fumbled 17 times this year. So they have some major uh, problems with turnovers. The more I looked at this game, the more I liked it. Um, Western Kentucky and Marshall, this is a massive game in Conference USA, right? You know, I know the Conference USA is not very good, but there's a lot on the line here. Bailey Zapp and, and Hilltoppers' win total was one of my uh, bigger overs of the season. So that one uh, got got the job done nicely. Now I'm backing them here in the Conference USA uh, critical game in the standings. Western Kentucky is first in the nation in offensive success. Uh, they're throwing at 67% of the time. Obviously, there are a lot of quick passes, very quick passes. And Marshall's pass defense looks good on paper, but I'm going to have you guys uh, stop me if you can find a good passing attack 
on Marshall's schedule. I mean, who have they played that's really very good at passing? I mean, you look down through the schedule and it's like, nope, nope, nope. nope. Okay. So nope. App State is the only one that ranks even somewhat pretty good. But Chase Bryce is no Bailey Zapp. We know that. He's been good this year. Uh, he's no Bailey Zapp. And I think that Marshall's passing defense is just not nearly as good as they look on paper. No way are they that good. 11th in opponent QBR, uh, 34th in pass play success rate. Let's see how they do against Western Kentucky. I really think Western Kentucky will have a lot of success on them. And I don't trust Grant Wells near as much as I trust Bailey Zapp, uh, no doubt. And in Conference USA play only, Western Kentucky with a plus 1.68 yards per play margin, Marshall plus 1.27 yards per play. So both of these teams are good, but Western Kentucky's defense has improved a lot. Their offense is fantastic. Marshall has had several hiccups this year where they looked really bad at times. Uh, they blew that game against East Carolina. They probably should have lost to Old Dominion. Just some wild games for Marshall. Uh, Western Kentucky's been really consistent here, especially later in the season. I trust Western Kentucky a lot more, and I, I like Western Kentucky in this one. I like it. The official play there from Kyle, Western Kentucky, taking the Hilltoppers plus the one and a half. Uh, I mean, this looks like a money line bet to me. So that'll move us to the Big Ten. Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. There's so many games at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Penn State heads to Michigan State, and Michigan State coming off that bludgeoning at the hands of the Buckeyes last week. The, uh, the Spartans are a one-and-a-half-point underdog at home. Total of 52 here, uh, and I had written down Michigan State minus or plus one, uh, but I suppose that line has actually moved. So either way. You guys know the lines move. It is what it is. I don't have to explain that. Uh, last year, Penn State won this game 39-24. to They have won and covered two straight in the matchup. Uh, Penn State, 3-1 and one against the spread in their last four games. Eight unders in the last ten games so far this season. Michigan State, 5-2 and two against the spread in their last seven. But they are 1-2 and two in their last three games. Uh, Penn State... You know, number 22 in stuff rate, I would imagine they will be able to slow down Kenneth Walker the third a little bit. Uh, but my question here is, if Michigan State is forced to throw the ball, um, are they going to be forced into mistakes? Uh, we, we saw it last week. You get yourself in a hole, it's a lot harder to dig out of that. Uh, Kyle, let's start off with you on this. I, I love the stuff rate here for Penn State, but I don't know that I trust Penn State's offense to be able to score uh, on this defense as much, right? I do think they'll have a, a lot more success than they have against Michigan and whoever else. But these look like two pretty evenly matched teams, which is why this line is one point, one and a half, whatever. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, um, James, James Franklin gets the long-term deal uh, with Penn State. I think that probably helps Penn State here, right? I mean, there's there's less unknown for Penn State. Yeah. Um, I think the players like their coach quite a bit, uh, so I would think that's a positive for them. Guys, we couldn't get through the entire show without me ranting at least a little bit about last week's uh, bet on Ohio State and Michigan State over 68 and a half. How did I lose that bet? I mean, it's <laughs> I, I got several texts about that one, tweets about that one, like, oh, this is awful. I can't believe it. Ohio State could have scored 80 by themselves if they wanted to. We know that. I mean, they were moving the ball at will. Um, Michigan State couldn't, couldn't put up two touchdowns, even in that kind of game state. I mean, it was... I know they were missing a couple of receivers. Yeah. <laughs> Just awful stuff. I mean, I, Michigan State, I don't like using the Q word like like uh, Parker says, but I mean, gosh, Michigan State, were they were they even attempting to score? It, it was just nothing. And then in the second half, 
you kind of think Ohio State might try to run up the game. They did exactly the opposite. I mean, they gave the ball to Master Teague 20 sometimes. And if Ohio State has a really conservative play, it's hand the ball to Master Teague, the third string uh, running back, and he gets about two or three yards every single play. Uh, that's what they did the whole second half. Um, you know, no scoreboard pressure on Ohio State made it to where they just kind of let off. And Michigan State, I can't believe they couldn't score at all. Uh, I'm going to end the rant here and go on to this uh, this game. But I, I, Michigan State, uh, I, by the old school handicapping, uh, you know, by the book, I'm not supposed to want to bet against Michigan State in this game because they just absolutely laid an egg in their last game. And if they have pride, they should bounce back in this one. But, uh, you know, I I have to lean toward Penn State in this game. I, I am... I'm bummed that this uh, last week's game wasn't closer, number one, because I would have won the over. Uh, number two, because then Penn State would have been plus three, plus three and a half or something. This I know this line moved from what it would have been just because Michigan State was such a bad showing. Having said that, Michigan State's pass defense is a major problem, I and mean, they are very bad. Uh, as good as Ohio State's wide receivers are, uh, they had to try nothing tricky to beat uh, Michigan State. Uh, we saw Olave a couple times just run straight past them. No, nothing to do. Uh, Michigan State lacks speed in the secondary, to say the least. Uh, Dotson, plenty of speed for Penn State, that's for sure. And um, it sounds like Clifford will be back in this one. Um, the backup played well in last week's game. He outplayed Clifford in last week's game, certainly. I was impressed with Penn State last week in what was a bad spot. Their defense didn't give up anything. Uh, you know, Michigan State probably uh, makes a lot better showing here. And obviously, Penn State doesn't have the upside that Ohio State does. But guys... Um, you know, it feels like you should have sold high on Michigan State before, and I'll give Parker credit. He did last week by taking Ohio State in that game. Um, so you're not selling high on Michigan State anymore, but I don't want to buy low on him after that game either. I don't trust this team. Uh, I think Franklin will have his team up for this game, and I think the situation that they're in, I'm going to lead Alina pretty strongly here toward Penn State. Uh, Parker, Penn State, number four in defensive points per drive. They are much better on defense on paper than I think a lot of people are noticing. And part of that is because the offense has been so pedestrian. And part of that, of course, was Clifford being out for you know an extended amount of time, which he was in, he was out, he wasn't 100%, etc. Uh, but the offense cannot get a running game going for anything. Uh, I don't know that it's going to matter in this ballgame. Uh, you've got a, a Penn State average offense against a Michigan State not good defense. Uh, Michigan State, you know, pretty good offense against a really good Penn State defense. Uh, which way are you leaning on this? I, I'm definitely leaning uh, towards, excuse me, I'm definitely leaning towards Penn State, and I'm going to take them as a play here. Um, like you said, I like the mismatch here. Um, Penn State's offense is definitely better than their aggregate numbers. And uh, Michigan State's defense, seventh against the rush, but they're 80th against EPA per pass. Let me tell you, Jahan Dotson, like, I mean, uh, and then Parker Washington, like there's a, there's a couple options there for Penn State to go deep um, overall. And so I, I really think that their offense will be able to move the ball on Michigan State. In terms of defense, I see a really, really big imbalance. And I was diving through, you know, looking at some situational stuff. And, and one split I really, really like here is to look at run concepts and look at inside versus outside run concepts and how often plays uh, teams are running um, which direction and all of that. And Penn State's uh, off uh, defense, rather. Uh, against inside rushing concepts, 33rd in the nation, 31% success rate, four yards per carry, 4.03. Against outside zone concepts, 
39 uh, yards per carry, 39% success rate. That's 64th in the nation. Huge drop-off in terms of outside running for Penn State here. That's why they lost to Michigan, is Michigan was able to get a big play and kind of get outside with Hassan Hoskins. Michigan State runs inside 75% of the time. So Michigan State's best weapon is matched up perfectly against Penn State's defensive strength. And so unless Michigan State can get creative, I, I do think they're going to have a downer here at the end of the season. Um, and, I, and I do think, again, for, for Penn State, this is an opportunity to redeem their season. And, you know, the, if their threshold is their floor, everything's gone wrong. If their floor is eight wins, you know, you look back on history and think, ah, that was a blip. That wasn't a disaster. We extend our coach. We're building for the future. So I think Penn State's got a lot to play for here. That totally makes sense. Bruce jumped in, said Mel Tucker will have them ready. Uh, we'll We'll see. We'll see. I mean, they are at home, so that has certainly helped them thus far this season. But uh, that's the way it goes. Rushman jumped in. Uh, FYI, the number one Badgers at 2.30 primetime on Saturday. You got to love it. Uh, let me go ahead and remind everybody as I have switched sheets. Go ahead and like that video for us. There's uh, more people watching than have actually liked the video. So give us that thumbs up. Looks just like this down at the bottom of the screen. Go ahead and knock that out. Subscribe to the channel. Make sure and hit the notification bell. We've got a few more games to dive into. If you have any games that you want us to talk about that are not on the screen right there, jump into the chat. Uh, we've got a bunch of guys already in the chat, but you guys jump in with any games that you want us to hit on, give a quick opinion of, and we'll, uh, we'll do a little rapid-fire session towards the end of this. Again, longer show than usual. You want to listen to this while you're driving to, uh, to your grandma's house or wherever else you're going for Thanksgiving, download the podcast. Go ahead and take advantage of that. It is the BetUS football show. It is ourselves and the guys over at the NFL show. Go ahead and take advantage of it while you can. Uh, well, I guess you can at all times. It is what it is. All right, next game on the board, 4 p.m. Eastern time, Louisiana Monroe headed to Louisiana, the state school, as Billy Napier would have you say, and the Ragin' Cajuns favored by 21 and a half, total of 54 and a half here. Last year, Louisiana won this 70 to 20. Just a complete and utter shellacking. Uh, eight and two straight up, five, four, and one against the spread in the last 10 for Louisiana against ULM. ULM two and six straight up in their last eight, three and five against the spread. They've hit three straight unders here. Um, Louisiana Monroe had a had a point in the middle of the season where they looked like they were feisty. They were getting some wins that they probably shouldn't have with new head coach Terry Bowden and uh, and the offensive coordinator Rich Rodriguez. But alas, they have fallen back down to earth. Uh, as of right now, they are number 122 in offensive su uh, success rate. Uh, they are number 120 in offensive adjusted sack rate. The offense is not playing well as of right now. Kyle, I want to start off with you on this. Uh, the biggest thing for me in this matchup is uh, Louisiana number six in turnover margin. They don't beat themselves, and they wait for the other team to make mistakes. We saw it against Liberty last week. Uh, what are your thoughts here? I'll keep it quick on this one. I have a strong opinion, and I kind of went on a rant on the last game. But uh, Louisiana with a big win at Liberty last week. But really, if you look at the stats on that one, it was a bit misleading how that game actually went. Louisiana was plus six in turnover margin. Uh, 296 yards of offense and 42 points. It's hard to believe. Um, this is a bunch of points, uh, a game that I'm not really that interested in betting. The total appears a little bit high to me. It just depends on how many points you think UL Monroe can score in this game. But I'm going to stay away from this game and just root for Parker. <laughs> that tends to make sense. Uh, Parker at Louisiana, number 25 in offensive success rate. ULM, number 106 in defensive success rate allowed. 
Uh, give me give me your lean on this. Which way are you rolling? I'm going to go with Louisiana to cover in the rivalry game. I think all the magic that Louisiana Monroe has, has been able to conjure this season has been used up. And I think here at the end of the season, you really start to see, even if you're well-coached, even if you're organized, um, kind of the stresses of the season uh, break down a roster. And I think that's what we're seeing with ULM. Louisiana, again, they've had some issues in the past uh, this season of playing down to their competition. But here the last the last two weeks, they've really been able to, to dispatch teams kind of with impunity. I think they're looking ahead to... Um, uh, the Sunbelt Championship, but not in a way where they're not doing their homework. I think it matters to Billy Napier whether they beat Louisiana Monroe. I think it matters for him to have a statement win right now, um, you know, kind of in the context of bigger uh, things. Um, the only thing that Louisiana Monroe has been able to do decently this season is, is pass the ball a little bit. They're 61st in EPA per pass since week five. Louisiana is 21st in EPA uh, per pass with arguably, I mean, a comparable schedule. Um on the flip side, uh, you know, Louisiana's rushing the ball a ton. They're 21st in EPA per rush, though. And and I really just don't think there's anything that Louisiana Monroe is going to be able to do to stop this offense, um, coupled with the fact that Louisiana Monroe's offense has, has just really, really stalled out here. So I like Louisiana. Um, three, three touchdowns is a lot. But again, they, they put up a lot last week. I think they're able to kind of almost like Floyd Mayweather, just wait back and counterpunch. Uh, and kind of overwhelm an opponent. And so I, I think that's what Louisiana is going to do this week. That's a fantastic metaphor. The official play there, Louisiana minus 21 and a half, uh, bringing up Floyd Mayweather into the conversation. All right, all right, I'm with you. I'm with you. This moves us to Bedlam. Oh, I'm excited about this one. 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, Saturday, Oklahoma heads to Stillwater against Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are now a four and a half point favorite in this spot. Good gracious. Uh, total of 50 points here. Oklahoma won 41-13 to 13 last year. They are 6-0 and straight up, 5-1 and one against the spread in their last six against Oklahoma State. So Oklahoma State uh, does not win this matchup very often. They really don't. Uh, it, it's very surprising to me to see them actually favored in this game. But, uh, but still, I, I think they're the better football team. Uh, it is the 10-year anniversary, for those that have not paid attention, of Oklahoma going to Stillwater as a three and a half point underdog and losing 44 to 10 back in 2011. That was the year that Oklahoma State was left out of the BCS national title game. Uh, Oklahoma four and two against the spread since Caleb Williams took over. Oklahoma State has covered in nine straight games and they are only giving up 13.1 points per game against the Big 12 this season. Parker, let's start off with you on this. Uh, there are so many different things to look at. Uh, Oklahoma State, number one in defensive success rate. Oklahoma, number 17 in offensive success rate. I I love the matchup here because Oklahoma State in the trenches has been awesome this year. I, I love, love what uh, what they are doing with this defense. Give me your thoughts on it. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, Oklahoma State has five legitimate dudes who can get pressure from almost anywhere on the field. Um, they've got a couple guys. One one, one of their um, defensive linemen is, like, former wrestler, just, like, absolute monster of a man. And and I think they're really, really disruptive up front. Um, all of the stats, all the numbers say that Oklahoma State should win this game convincingly. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing about it is – I. In a, in a real rivalry game like this where it's been so lopsided, I just get so nervous. I just, I mean, two things really factor in. One, you know, the joke is 
uh, three things can happen in Bedlam. Uh, Oklahoma can win by a lot. They can win by a medium amount or they can win by a little bit. And that's kind of been true um, the the last couple of years. I, I think that Oklahoma's problems this season have not been problems of um, strategy or talent or even really execution except for quarterback decision-making. I think that you can watch Oklahoma play football and see – their quarterback is not understanding the progressions. He's not making open throws. They are getting open. They are physically dominating opponents on offense, and they are not getting there. Um, and so that, that makes me nervous, but that also kind of bakes in. Oklahoma still has this theoretical offensive uh, speed that we haven't necessarily seen all season, but that at any time could just click and 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 give hell to an opponent. So um, my numbers have this as a two-score uh, a two-score win for Oklahoma State. I don't trust it. Uh, too superstitious. I don't like this spot at all, especially given that like either team here could play themselves into the playoff. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Um, if Oklahoma wins, we get a rematch next week too, which is fascinating. So I, I, I don't have a play here. I'm very excited to watch this one, but I'm very nervous about a line. Kyle, there is, there is so much embedded into this ballgame. There's a chance it is the last Big 12 game for Oklahoma before they head to the SEC. There's a chance it is the last time that they visit Stillwater for uh, a very long time, as we have seen with Texas A&M and Texas. They just never rescheduled the the matchup. Uh, I think Oklahoma State has it out for Oklahoma in this spot. I am pumped about this. I love Oklahoma State here. I'll go ahead and make it official for me with Oklahoma State minus 4.5. But, Kyle, I want to know your opinion on Bedlam. So uh, I just, to be clear, if Oklahoma wins this game, is Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game? And then they would be playing each other a second week in a row? Or how does yes. that work? Yes. Okay, that's yep. what I, that'd be wild. I, I, I've heard some people speculate on, you know, why somebody might want to play them a second week in a row. Oklahoma State wants to win this game regardless. I mean, they have tons to play for here. Uh, they could legitimately get into the, the championship picture. Oklahoma maybe could as well. Uh, Oklahoma State has played a much tougher schedule. 61st strength of schedule for Oklahoma. Oklahoma State 26th per Sagarin. So I really wanted to bet the under in this game. Really badly wanted to bet the under. I definitely expected a number higher than 50 here. Um, Oklahoma State's defense has been so dominant. So I get why they had to put up a lower number. They've just been so good, especially lately. Um, they're fifth in defensive success rate and third in the nation in yards per play allowed. Think about how insane people would have thought if like five or six years ago you would have said Oklahoma State's going to have the third best country, uh, third best uh, defense in the country, top five defense in the country at all. People would have looked at us like we were crazy. I mean, but they have been absolutely fantastic. They have a great defensive coordinator, obviously. Um, they've even had some injuries and they've still been that good defensively, Oklahoma State. I'm very, very impressed by that. I'm really not confident that Oklahoma can get things going on offense this week. Caleb Williams was kind of a brief spark. He was 8 for 18 for 87 yards last week. Um, he's been bad for a few weeks in a row now. Now, Oklahoma's defense was good against Iowa State, and I think Oklahoma's defense is uh, capable of playing pretty well in a game like this as well. Uh, they only gave up 4.1 yards per play against Iowa State last week, and they're much better at stopping the run than the pass, which is the only concern I have for Oklahoma State here because I still don't really trust Spencer Sanders that much. Uh, you know, he's not a very good passer. I, I've said this almost every week, and I have to say it again. Gundy is 99-64 and 64 against the spread now, so an absolute moneymaker. Lincoln Riley 28-29 and 29 against the spread all time. Still lean to the under here. 
Uh, kind of hoping for a quick touchdown or two so I can bet the live under in this one because I, I would think that it'll be a, uh, you know, there's a good chance that this one stays pretty low scoring no matter what. But I, I think Gundy is still underrated as a coach and maybe uh, Riley is thought of so highly and I'm not saying he's necessarily overrated, but I think people uh, would, would just blindly say Lincoln Riley's the better coach of these two. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. I, I tend to agree. I'm going to make it official for myself. Oklahoma State minus four and a half here. Uh, I think they win by at least a touchdown, possibly more. Uh, my line on it was actually seven. Uh, the fact that it opened three and a half, I said, this is ridiculous. But do with it what you will is what it is. We've got three more games that we're going to hit. Uh, again, remind everybody, like the video for us. We've got uh, quite a few watching, and we certainly appreciate that you are here. Uh, make sure and subscribe to the channel, etc. Kentucky heads to Louisville, and the Cardinals are a three-point favorite here, total of 57 Kentucky won the last matchup, which was actually in 2019. They did not play last year due to conference-only schedules, but Kentucky won 45-13 to uh, two seasons ago. Kentucky 3-1 and one straight up and against the spread in the last four in this series. Uh, Kentucky has won two straight games after they lost three straight uh, prior to that. They have three overs in the last 14, uh, sorry, in the last four games. Louisville, 3-2 and two straight up and against the spread in their last five. They've kind of gotten some things figured out with uh, with Malik Cunningham and that offense. Kyle, let's start off with you on this. Uh, Kentucky, my, my biggest issue here, because I thought Kentucky might be favored in this game, what I'm worried about is Kentucky's number 129 turnover margin. They cannot stop giving the other team the ball, and they don't generate enough turnovers on their own side uh, to be able to offset that. <laughs> um there's there's a lot to like from both of these teams, but just overall numbers and whatnot, it really looks like Louisville might be the better team here. Uh, Kyle, let's let's start with you. What are what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is a strange game to me because Kentucky was getting a lot of respect earlier in the season. Um, it appeared their win over Florida was impressive, and we found out that Florida was just really disappointing this year. Will Levis put up some good numbers against UL Monroe, Vanderbilt, Missouri, teams like that. But he's been pretty bad uh, turning the football over in some of the other games and key spots as well. 12 interceptions. Kentucky has 16 fumbles this year. Uh, Wildcats, like you said, second to last in the nation turnover margin. And I would have never expected to say this, but Louisville's defense has been pretty good lately. You know, I, I thought their defense was going to be a major problem throughout the course of the season. They're fourth in the ACC in yards per play allowed. That's impressive. And in recent form alone, Louisville's defense looks better than Kentucky's defense, and I, I would have never expected to say that. But uh, the Louisville offense is better than the Kentucky offense, and they're certainly more explosive. Uh, Cunningham's been tremendous of late. I know some of last week's was just about Duke. You know, Duke didn't look very interested in that game, but uh, Louisville's offense is very good. I have Louisville minus four here, and I would lean toward Louisville in this game. Uh, you know, to me, Kentucky just uh, – this is a good rivalry game. You would think it would be a fairly close contest, but – Nothing excites me about Kentucky at this point, where I feel like Louisville is uh, kind of turning the corner and getting a lot better at the end of the season. Kentucky kind of just flatlined. Yeah, the the surprising number, you know, for me, it was that turnover margin number. But uh, Kentucky on offense, number 112, or 112, excuse me, number 12 in offensive success rate. Uh, Louisville, number 38 in defensive success rate allowed. Um, you know, Louisville, number 57 offensive success rate. But Kentucky's defense, number 100 in that metric on defense. I just, it surprised me quite a bit. Parker, uh, Will Levis and that bunch, do you think there's uh, any chance they're affected by all the Mark Stoops to Baton Rouge rumors? 
Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to know um, what's going on there and and kind of where the roster sits and and where the locker room sits. Um, one thing I'll, I will note is 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 Kentucky is 23rd in EPA per rush. Um, they're seventh in third and fourth down successes, and they're only rushing on 54% of early downs. All that to say, what Kentucky's really good at is rushing on late downs and extending drives there. Um, Louisville's defense has been really good on third and fourth downs, 26th, only allowing a 37% conversion rate there. So I think that Louisville's defense matches up really nicely with what Kentucky wants to do. If they're going to try and do the Levis uh, downfield passing experience, whatever that might look like, uh, Louisville's passing defense is 49th in EPA per play. It certainly hasn't been bad recently. Um, one thing to really note that that I, I and the reason I'm going Louisville here and playing Louisville, Louisville's offense is 88th in success rate. They are very bad at efficiency, but uh, so 85th in the passing success rate, 81st in rushing success rate. They're 24th in EPA per pass, 26th in EPA per rush. When Louisville hits, it's gold. Um, Kentucky's defense, 111th in EPA per pass, 103rd in EPA per rush, right for the taking for big plays here. I think Malik Cunningham has been really dynamic the last couple of games. I think they're rolling, and it is kind of what you guys said. There, there's a little bit of a downward trend, maybe some uncertainty in Kentucky's future, and it does feel like Scott Satterfield is kind of getting a vision coalescing here at Louisville. So um, I like Louisville's offensive upside to uh, to outweigh Kentucky's defense, and I like Louisville's um consistency and kind of under underrated consistency on defense to stymie anything that Kentucky does on offense. I, I can roll with it. I like that. Uh, Parker official play here, Louisville minus three. Yes. Satterfield kind of has this thing rolling right now. We'll, uh, we'll see what that means going forward. Obviously you lose this one. It could change everything, but we'll see. We'll see Louisville minus three, the play for Parker. We got two more Notre Dame heading to Stanford Stanford, a 20-point underdog at home. Fear the tree indeed. Uh, Total of 52.5. Notre Dame won the last matchup in 2019, 45-24. The Irish have won and covered two straight. Now, Notre Dame 8-1 against the spread in the last nine games this season. They have covered in six straight games. Stanford has not won or covered in six straight games. They have been on a... Steep, steep decline for David Shaw and company. A lot of a lot of stats to like here. Notre Dame number nine in net points per drive. Stanford number one hundred five. Notre Dame number four in defensive points per opportunity. Stanford uh, number one sixteen in offensive points per opportunity. That's uh, that drives inside the forty. Uh, I just man, Stanford is so bad. <laughs> uh, Parker, let's roll with you first on this one. Uh, Stanford is, I, I don't even know what to make of David Shaw's bunch here. This is as big a mismatch as you could possibly get at this point of the season, right? Yeah, yeah. I felt like that was like a comedy stand-up bit where you were saying Stanford's <laughs> offense is so bad, and I was supposed to say, how bad is it? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've been really, really rough here. And uh, again, Notre Dame has a lot more to play for in this situation. Um, you know, you can say this is this is a rivalry, this is historic, but Notre Dame, uh, ninth in EPA per play margin, Stanford 126th. Notre Dame really rushing the ball. They've really kind of gotten that turned around. They're 25th in EPA per rush on offense. On defense, Stanford is 118th. On the flip side, um, you know, Stanford's success earlier in the season was a little bit of passing. You know, if you want to grasp at straws and say maybe that's what they'll be able to do notre dame secondary 12th in epa per pass man just no opportunities for stanford here really really big mismatch and 
Notre Dame has a fringe playoff shot. I, I, I think they're going to try and score 100 here just because they need every bit of, of style points that they can get to try and jump somebody and, and sneak into the committee's eye. Um, especially on early downs, I think Notre Dame's going to be able to display some offense that may not have been there. 13th in early downs EPA on offense, Stanford 127th. Um, so uh, should should be a fun game for Notre Dame, and I, I really think that they, they should be able to score – uh, with impunity against Stanford and and cover this spread. Kyron Williams will have a career day on it Saturday night. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the Irish in the tree? So uh, strange things strange things can happen at any point in college football, right? And we know that. You know, there's uh, I've had people say to me, "Well, couldn't this happen?" And they pull off a stunt. Of course they could. What we're doing is we're looking at the numbers. And, and the situation and try to make a well-informed opinion and put ourselves in a plus expected value position. Um, you know, here's what I know about this. Stanford has been absolutely awful in recent weeks. I mean, it's hard to overstate how bad they have been. The Cardinal run defense is bottom of the barrel. They rank 129th at PFF and rushing defense grade ahead of only Akron. And I'm not sure Akron even counts. So apologies to our Zips fans that are watching. But uh, I mean, this is a Pac-12 school that was very good defensively a few years ago, and now they're this. It's just what a fall it's been for for David Shaw and Stanford in general. How bad has Stanford been against the run? They allowed a whopping 441 yards rushing against Utah. Two weeks later, in my opinion, even more embarrassing, 352 rushing yards against Cal team that's not good on offense. And Cal's their rifle, guys. I mean, they, they should have been up for that game. Why were they not up for a game like that? To me, that's kind of one of those flashing lights that says, man, I'm worried about backing a team like that because they couldn't even get up for their rival. Uh, you know, just just a really bad performance there. And Notre Dame had no running game the first half of the season. In recent games, Notre Dame ran for 293 yards against North Carolina, 150 against Navy, 249 against Virginia, 212 against Georgia Tech. It would be easy to say, yeah, but those run defenses aren't very good. Well, Maybe not, but they're all better than Stanford's run defense. That's for sure. So, uh, Notre Dame is uh, 38 sacks on the year on defense. Stanford's offensive line is not good. Tanner McKee, a bit of a spark early in the season. But, I mean, he's better than their other options at quarterback, but he's not really been very good. He ranks 178th at PFF in quarterback grade. That's behind Dennis Grossell, Rocky Lombardi, guys like that. So, under pressure, McKee has not been good. He's going to be under pressure in this game. I'm, I'm confident of that. Notre Dame has a very realistic path to the playoffs, but they really need style points, definitely. Uh, is Stanford going to play inspired football? Certainly it's possible, but there's nothing I've seen lately that would make me think it's going to happen. So I like Notre Dame quite a bit in this one. That totally, totally makes sense. Let's make it official. Parker and Kyle both, like the Fighting Irish, minus the 20. I... I mean, lay them, lay them. Absolutely. I'm with you. I'm going to stay away from it uh, because the number's big and they're on the road and whatnot. And you never know, but that seems like the really smart play. Seems like the really smart play. Uh, last game for us today before we jump into the Q&A. So if anybody has any games that they want us to discuss, BYU heads to USC and BYU favored by seven and juiced at minus 105. The total is 64 here. Uh, there's there's a lot to like about BYU here. Uh, I'm curious, Kalani Sataki being brought up uh, for a lot of just a ton of jobs on, on the West Coast right now. BYU won this matchup in 2019, 30-27. Before that, their last meeting was in 2004, 
BYU only two and four against the number in their last six games, but they have had you know a few walkovers and whatnot where yeah you could have scored to cover, but why you know they were favored by quite a bit in their last two ball games. USC is zero and five against the spread, one and four straight up in their last five games. This is a team that is crawling to the finish line. It feels like they are just trying to get there, just trying to get done with the season. Kyle, let's start off with you on this. Uh, Keontae Ingram looks like he's going to be out for USC. Uh, I, I think Tyler Algier is going to have a massive, massive game. USC number 125 in stuff rate. Uh, the defense has not looked great. Of course, they lost Drake London earlier in the season. Uh, I I don't know what to look for with USC that would lead me to believe that they could actually win this ballgame. Uh, so, Kyle, maybe maybe you can tell me that, or maybe you'll side with me on this. Which uh, which way are you leaning? Well, as Parker said before, like I said, we don't like to use the Q word, but if a team is in that situation, USC could probably be one of them. And you could argue, I guess, since USC is making up that other game, that they still have a chance to get to a bowl game. Um, do they want to get to a bowl game? I, I don't know that they'd really want to get to a bowl game. They probably want this season to be over with. Um, UCLA is pretty good on offense, but USC just let them run right over them last week. More than 600 yards. 9.2 yards per play. Can USC, can USC get off the mat after that game? Probably not. I, I don't think it's too likely. I think there's an outside shot that somebody like Jackson Dart has a big game and something like this, and they pull an upset because BYU's uh, pass defense is not great. Having said that, I think there's a, also a pretty good shot that BYU wins pretty big here. So I'm going to lean with you guys on this one pretty strongly. I think uh, if you look at USC, too, their tackling grade is 120th. And that really is pretty unacceptable to me. You know, USC gets pretty good players, um, pretty high level of talent. Coaching has not been what it should be. Uh, you know, that, that's not a good thing when you're going to face as good of a running attack uh, as BYU has. I, I think they'll have a good running game here. This is a game where if we see signs early on, the USC looks really bad. Probably good to live bet BYU in a pretty big way because I think if this starts to spiral, it could get really ugly. Um, I definitely lean BYU and considered playing this alongside the guys, but pre-flop, I'm going to pass, and I'll watch this one live. I totally, totally makes sense. Parker, uh, looking at some of these numbers, uh, this BYU offense is just a massive, massive mismatch for this USC defense. Uh, USC number 128 in defensive points per opportunity. Uh, just looking at success rate, BYU is number five in offensive success rate, USC number 109. Uh, in defensive success rate allowed. That is, I mean, you're talking about a top five team against a, a bottom 20 type team. Uh, I don't know what USC does to be able to actually stay in this ballgame. Uh, tell me tell me what you're thinking. Fifth in offensive EPA per play. 18th in passing and 12th in rushing. Uh, on early downs, they're second in the nation. USC's defense, 94th in early downs EPA. So on first and second downs, teams are just moving the ball at will. Um, on the flip side, USC, 16th in early downs rush rate. They're really trying to pass the ball, really trying to spread it out, run a little bit of that air raid, and they're 88th in EPA per pass. So BYU's defense, relatively worse um, and, and, and not a great unit. But again, uh, their, their strengths kind of match up with um, – what USC wants to do on defense. And so I, I really think that the motivation factor here is a huge difference. I, I think that USC is, is a mess and doesn't really have a vision. Um, one thing to note, 
BYU has really been controlling games. They're 23rd in echo ratio, which is, again, just ratio of productive drives. Who's kind of controlling the productive drives in games? 56.5%. USC is 67, uh, 50%. So I expect BYU to have plenty of opportunities to score. I expect them to be aggressive on early downs. And I expect USC to, to really just muddle their way through an offense. So seven points for, for BYU seems like a no-brainer. That's exactly the way I'm rolling. We'll make it official Parker and I teaming up again for the third time in the show. We are uh, both going to ride with BYU minus seven on that. And now, my friends, we get to jump into the Q&A. And, man, uh, you go for an hour and a half, you are bound to have uh, quite a few questions. Uh, PMAT, by the way, jumps in. These guys are so solid, you can like this show from the waiting room. I like it. (laughs) I like it. Uh, So, yes, go ahead and hit the like button for us. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel. And let's dive into... Some of these questions. Um, the first one that I want to get to, uh, Kenneth jumped in earlier, said, uh, do we think that Baylor blows out Texas Tech this weekend? And Parker and I actually have talked about this uh, off camera. And you would think so, because I think that now that people have film on Donovan Smith, that's one thing. But we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be for Baylor. So we're staying away from that. Jerry Bohannon, of course, went out last week. Um, I, I wouldn't touch that. I wouldn't touch that personally. Uh, We do have multiple questions. First one, Robert S., Miami, Ohio versus Kent State. Now, Kyle, we we obviously would need to uh, rapid-fire some of these, and I I did not like this matchup at all uh, on either side, so I did not spend a lot of time looking at it, but I know that you have been on Kent State quite a bit this year. Uh, What are your thoughts on Kent State and Miami of Ohio? Um, I always want to lean over with Kent State in the MAC, so that's my, that's my strongest lean in that game. Uh, Kent State defensively just awful. You know they're bad against everything. Miami uh, a good defense at least for the MAC, I guess you would say. But you know MAC defense is it's kind of a it's it's kind of a joke, right? You know you say MAC defense, it's <laughs> almost uh, like you just misspoke or something. So uh, I would say I'd lean to the over. I haven't really checked the weather in that one. Uh, but I, I lean to the over, and um, I, I I don't really have any lean on the side. It looks like my number's right on it. Yeah, it's uh, Kent State favored by one point at home in that one. Uh, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably stick away from that. Um, another question from Kenneth. Uh, nope, nope, that was the same one I was talking about. Never mind. Michael Parrish wants to know about Wake Forest and Boston College. Uh, Parker, let me let me toss that one over to you. Wake Forest, uh, we, we've kind of gone back and forth on this one. I like BC in this spot, catching the four. Well, it's five now. Uh, I like BC to be able to put up points on Wake Forest. I don't think, I don't expect them to win the game by any stretch of the imagination because I know Wake Forest is going to score on that defense. But this is a pressure, pressure spot for Wake Forest. So I, I think that they are going to uh, really deal with it this week going into this game, especially on the road. Phil Dracovich back playing for Boston College. He's been pretty good now. Uh, last week looked all right. I I would roll Boston College plus the points, but this is obviously not an official play for me because I, I just I don't know who I can trust on defense in either one of these spots. Uh, Parker, which, uh, which thought did you have on this? Yeah, so I, I would lean towards Wake Forest here. Um, uh, a couple things stand out to me. One, um, on, on offense, you know, Boston College has been better than their aggregate stats, but they're still – excuse me, they're still pretty poor. Um, I don't think they have the rushing attack that Clemson does. Let me rephrase that. They obviously and demonstrably don't have the rushing attack that Clemson has. And and that's a lot of the reason that Wake was was struggling against Clemson last week. Two running backs for Clemson, 303 yards. So I, I really think that Wake Forest here 
is is not going to be so um outclassed in the in the physicality of the game on that offense versus defense matchup and then on the flip side when wake forest has the ball uh boston college's uh defense 94th in rushing just absolutely awful um they're 34th against the pass but again when you see a big split like that you have to think selection people are largely only passing against boston college when they have to i think wake forest 41st in epa per rush um, should be able to break off a couple big runs, should be able to run their offense how they want to and exploit a pass defense that hasn't really, really been challenged. So I would lean towards Wake. The only thing stopping this from being an official play is, again, Phil has that arm. There's a lot of uncertainty about Boston College's offense and Wake Forest's defense is bad and they got beat up last week. So um, may, maybe a letdown spot for them this this week. Uh, next question on the board was uh, PMAT. Army triple option versus Liberty, please. Looking for a reason to bet the triple option. Uh, well, I will give you one. Uh, looking at the numbers here, uh, which, by the way, Liberty favored by three and a half at home. Of course, Hugh Freeze, that new massive extension that he got, uh, paying over $4 million a year for him to stay at a private school in Virginia, out of the limelight. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers to you. Uh, Army, number 26 in turnover margin. Liberty, number 120 in turnover margin. Malik Willis, Throws the ball to the other team so often. it I, I can't look at any other number with this team for whatever reason. Uh, stuff rate is great for Liberty on defense. Um, they, they, you don't have to worry about sack rate, but like Liberty in the trenches is pretty good. And Army, like I would expect, uh, should be able to run the ball at least some. Like they'll have some success here. But I think the biggest thing is I think Army's going to get some short fields uh, just because you can kind of expect it at this point. Like, turnovers are a luck factor, but I just, <laughs> I think you can count on it at this point in the season. We've seen it so many times. It has cost them so many games thus far. Uh, if you can never get them to quit throwing to the other team, uh, Malik Willis would be really, really good. Uh, Kyle, Parker, do the one of y'all have a feel on that one? Not really for me. <laughs> Kyle, so- what about you? I have a friend who's trying to talk me into betting the over in this game. I, I really don't like to bet overs for Army games. But, you know, uh, Liberty has a bit of a unique offense as compared to what Army usually plays. Um, I think Army can probably run the football on Liberty. Liberty's not used to seeing an offense like that either. But uh, that total is so high for me to take for an Army game. We know they're very efficient. If I was betting a side, I'd bet Army here just because I think this is kind of a toss-up type game. And you're getting more than a field goal here. So, uh, I'll lean to Army as well in this one. Let's uh, let's close out with these Thanksgiving Q and A's. Uh, one, I believe Scott asked earlier, "What is your favorite adult beverage?" Uh, mine would be. Um, oh, well, that's a that's a good question. You know what? How about this? Let's start off with uh, with either one of you, Parker. How about you? What's your favorite adult beverage? You know, I, I, I appreciate a uh, just a, a good craft beer, something well made, something uh, takes me a few minutes to few minutes to drink. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I go to. Um, yeah, that that makes sense. I I like to uh, sip on bourbon or scotch, uh, and I've got this. I don't even know the brand of it. I know I, I'd like to drink uh, some some high level doers at the house every now and then, um, but um, I don't know. Like I also uh, any kind of bourbon. Like it, that's the cheaper stuff that I can I can sip that on the rocks every now and then. Uh, what about you, Kyle? 
So I'm, I'm not, in general, a huge adult beverage type guy. I just, you know, in special situations and stuff, I guess in my old age, you know, I just kind of, my wife uh, my wife likes the wines and the champagnes and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll partake with her sometimes. But in general, I don't, uh, you know, at this point, I guess I've just gotten in my old age a little bit softer on things like that. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't have any huge favorite here. It's like whatever's in the fridge, that'll be just fine, right? That, yeah. That'll work. <laughs> Uh, now, last question of the day, and this was from Big Trouble Jack earlier. He wanted to know what our favorite Thanksgiving, uh, well, he said either meal or dishes, and I don't remember what I wrote down. Uh, we'll, we'll go with Thanksgiving dishes. How's that? Uh, mine, I'll start us off, is the sweet potato casserole that my mother-in-law makes. It is fan-friggin-tastic. Uh, Kyle, what is, uh, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Okay, so I, I like almost everything at Thanksgiving. You know, I, I want as many Thanksgiving meals as I possibly can. I'm a big carbs person when it comes to that. Uh, I love stuffing. That's probably my favorite of, of any of them. Uh, corn casserole. Uh, we've got a real good corn casserole. We have. I love that as well. And some uh, fresh rolls or biscuits or something like that. I love all that. So you can tell I'm a big carb guy. Most certainly, Parker. What about you? <laughs> Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I like some of the staples, man. I, I love, I love dressing when it's done well. I love, uh, my, my grandmother would always do, uh, she would just pull the cranberry sauce right out of the can where, you know, she'd put all this elaborate effort <laughs> into so many things, the cranberry sauce out of the can. Uh, but I love good green bean casserole. You know, I feel like that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of my staple there. You get a little, the crispy on top, it's baked, right? It's, it's nice. I, I, uh, again, equal opportunity Thanksgiving side dish eater over here though. But, uh, but, uh, love a good green bean casserole. Oh yeah. Green bean casserole, any, any of the casseroles, uh, mac and cheese, uh, a good Turkey, like not too dry. I'm all in. I am all in mashed potatoes, gravy. All, give me all of it. Give me all of it. And then let me sleep for a little while after, uh, after some of the NFL games are done <laughs> before the egg bowl, get your nap out before the egg bowl. We'll say that nobody asked about the egg bowl. That's, uh, that's kind of crazy. You know what? We're not going to talk about it. You guys can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, you can also jump into the comments if you would like to know about that one. We will be checking that out uh, once we get done with our travels. Of course, some of us are, are heading out of town for a little bit, but uh, we will be around. We will be checking the comments, checking the chat, and make sure that you jump in there. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our recap for this show. Uh, Parker, I want to start off with you. What are your favorite bets this week? So many, so many picks this week, uh, but we got a you know two, 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 uh, two shows in one here. So I'm going Nebraska plus a point and a half against Iowa, Ohio State minus eight, uh, and then some against Michigan. Texas State I think will sneak in there plus two against Arkansas State. Oregon gets things right with minus seven against Oregon State. Uh, Penn State minus 1.5 is, is one I really like. Louisiana I think is on the warpath, especially against ULM. They'll cover that 21 and a half. Uh, Louisville minus three in another rivalry game with Kentucky. Notre Dame minus 20 against Stanford, trying to play to get in the playoff. And BYU minus seven, flexing a little bit of muscle here at, at USC. All right, so mine, I'm going to start us off on Friday. I like Iowa to cover the point and a half against a freshman quarterback, first-time starter uh, at Nebraska. So Iowa to cover that one and a half. Cincinnati minus 14 on the road at ECU. Uh, the matchup. Tends to point Cincinnati. I'm going to ride with the Bearcats. Ohio State to cover eight against Michigan. Uh, this is the game that Ryan Day said they were going to hang 100 on them. I'm all in. Let's see what happens. North Texas plus 10.5 against UTSA. A little bit of a letdown spot for UTSA. They don't have to win this one. Uh, they are headed to the Conference USA title game next week already. 
So North Texas plus 10.5. Oregon to cover the 7 against Oregon State. Revenge spot. And you are just fresh off of being embarrassed last week. Oklahoma State to cover 4.5 against Oklahoma. Uh, That Cowboys defense is relentless. And BYU to cover 7 at USC because that USC defense is atrocious. Kyle, what you got? I'm taking UNLV and Air Force under the 50. Northwestern Illinois under 43.5. The Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky plus 1.5. And Notre Dame minus 20 for my plays this week. And guys, are we done? I feel like we were just getting started. I think we're done. <laughs> I think we're done. It's, uh, it's a little surprising. But yes, we are ready to, uh, to get out of here. Ready to rock and roll. Uh, hopefully everybody has a good Thanksgiving. Again, I'm going to tell you. We do have a podcast. If you want to listen en route to wherever you are going, I know a lot of people traveling this holiday season, make sure and subscribe to the podcast at any of your favorite podcast apps uh, or podcast locations, whatever, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever. Download it, subscribe, and make sure and leave a nice five-star review over there. Along with that, make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Like the video, hit the notification bell, etc., and then we'll go from, uh, from there. So... Uh, go over to betus.com. It is where the game begins. And I don't think I have any more notes. Gentlemen, I hope you all have wonderful, wonderful holiday weekends. Hopefully we all get some good winners this week. And, uh, and we'll be ready to rock and roll for next week. Because we got championship games coming up, my friends. With that said, uh, go follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the show. All that good stuff. Share the show out. Tell your friends. We can't thank you guys that have jumped into the chat enough. For BetUS, we will see you all again next week.